0: The second week in a row, we get to talk about a Bengals win on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I can't believe it, John Sharon. It's a win streak. It's a road win. Oh my gosh. Multiple monkeys off of Zach Taylor's back. How you doing, buddy? Happy holidays.
1: A close win, too. I think it's it's the first time they've... Is it the first time they've won in Houston? Like, maybe ever? It's been a long
0: time, yeah. because
1: They've only been around since 2002, and they definitely lost a couple times in January about 8 years ago so a lot of monkeys off a lot of backs
0: Incredible. yeah yeah uh we were talking a little bit beforehand but you had a good christmas and uh hung a little bit with the with the immediate fam there have a good holiday and everything
1: yeah it was definitely fun because i went home and that was before the the texans game and as oh. many of you guys know you know my mom and my sister are big steelers fans so I got Ooh, to, that's right. I got, got, got to talk a little smack, you know. It has, it's been, <laughs> been a long while since I've been able to do that. So,
0: yeah, yeah. Get any good uh, any Bengals gifts or anything for for Christmas? No, nah, I got I got plenty of that.
1: Uh, didn't <laughs> didn't need any more.
0: Okay, all right. Well, good, good to good to be with you as always, my friend. And uh, we get to ring in the new year at least, talking about a win. Hopefully, the Bengals can get one more. We're going to be talking about the season finale against the Baltimore Ravens, can the Bengals string together three wins, knock out a division foe, and really put a nice ribbon on the 2020 season that really was overall disappointing. So let's talk a little bit about the Houston game before we get to a stat of the week, before we get to previewing the Ravens game, and then we're going to do a little bit of Bengals New Year's resolutions at the end of the program before we get on out of here. But John, I guess we can just kind of say overall impressions of this game, what do you make of those uh, stigmas, I guess, or those hurdles that Zach Taylor has had yet to clear in almost two full seasons? I mean, is this is this telling you a bit more? Do these do these two wins tell you a bit more about Zach Taylor and potential progress? Or do we still know what we know based on the previous almost two seasons before these two games?
1: Our good friend Mike Holbrook in Facebook saying, I hope you guys aren't drinking the Kool-Aid. And yeah, I think I think it's fair. You know, the Kool-Aid is there. It's definitely bright orange. It's got a nice little ladle in it. There's cups next to it. Not quite taking a sip yet, though. You know, I, I think it was uh, at the end of the day, it, it, a win is a win. And it was an impressive offense performance. It was impressive that they were they were able to win on the road in a close game for the first time in what seems like forever. Like, you can't really take that away from them. Um, but also, you know, you can't forget the first 14 weeks of this. You know, it's It's impressive, but we we, we still do kind of know what we know. And it's just like, I mean, at this point, obviously, Zach's coming back and these wins give you a little bit more confidence about seeing, you know, maybe there is something brewing here. And if if that is the case, then obviously it's it's great. But also, I think there are some things here that make it seem a little bit more than just a dead cat bounce. And this is something that we've seen, obviously, many times in the last 20 or so years. And apparently oftentimes it's against the Steelers, but. I think there is value in beating an elite quarterback on the road with your backup quarterback and you know showing things that you haven't really been able to show before with the personal that, that you're given in, in this certain situation. So there's still a lot that we do know about Zach Taylor. Not a lot of it's great, and it, I don't think a win over the Texans means that he's going to go over 500 next year, even, that, even though that should be the goal. But it does give you slightly more confidence or just more confidence in saying, you know what? He's going to get year three anyways. But let's just see how it goes. At least, at least, I think we're more open to something changing dramatically. Even though it's still kind of unlikely.
0: This is cool. Every once in a while, we we have a couple of uh, comments that stop us in the tracks, but uh, Evening from snowy Scotland, sat up until one forty-two a.m. to catch the show tonight from John Wallace. Not sure if he's a distant relative of William Wallace from Scotland there, but. Uh, that's just awesome to hear. We love it. Thanks, John. Appreciate that. And Andrew Seiler making me feel like just second fiddle galore here. John is my hero. Uh, I, I am the Robin to your Batman there, John, but good to Good to see everybody. We're, we're sh- uh, sharing some holiday cheer with everybody, putting some comments up. And I saw Dalton signature, the guy who is the graphic artist extraordinaire joining us via Twitter. Good to see everybody joining us. But yeah, you know, um, it's, it's really weird what winning does. You know, I was on another show previewing the Ravens game, and they they were asking me, you know, what what do you think about Zach Taylor? And I said, if you asked me this three weeks ago, this would have been a completely different answer than what we're talking about now. And I, I think I said this on the postgame show that if you all of a sudden, as the Cincinnati Bengals, if you're able to beat Pittsburgh on primetime, you're able to go in and beat Deshaun Watson on his home field, even though the Houston Texans are struggling, if you're able to do that, and then a third win of the row, in a row, take out the Baltimore Ravens, knock them out of the playoffs, and then you come into next year, you know, you've more than doubled your win total from the year prior. If you're Zach Taylor, you're getting Joe Burrow back, fingers crossed. Maybe you're feeling a little better about things. Still, though, John, I mean, at this point, um, you know, we're still looking at, what, six six wins and a tie in, in almost two full seasons of football. And that's that's not getting it done. That's not getting it done. But uh, I, I guess, do you take stock in – I know we've heard Matt Minnick talk about it on the pregame show and on his Twitter account. Do you take stock in the – quote-unquote guys aren't quitting on Zach Taylor are you witnessing that on the field I I see it in a lot of senses but you know I don't know I don't know how much belief I have in that personally speaking
1: yeah it's it's the fact that guys are quote-unquote buying in if that's the perception we don't obviously know that there's there was a lot of stuff that came out that kind of explained to the contrary and not a lot of it was necessarily concrete or confirmed but when there's smoke, there's usually fire, and we kind of saw the instances with Carlos Dunlap and stuff like that. But but I do think to an extent, like most of the locker room is behind him. I think that mm-hmm. was always the kind of thing. There was just there's just too many you know unnamed sources that kind of came up against him. But it, in reverse of that, like the team is is buying it, and, and they're still fired up, and they still want to prove something. But on the other end of the spectrum, like wh- why does this happen so many times with the Bengals? Why do they some sometimes just can't? Um, tend to catch fire in December when the season's lost. Is it? Is it because they they're one, they have something to prove, or is it because teams just aren't taking them necessarily seriously? I don't think the Steelers took the Bengals seriously at all a week ago, and I think it's fair to say that the, the Texans didn't really take them seriously. And it's, it's almost the same um, thing with the offensive line. How last last season against the Dolphins, the Browns twice without Miles Garrett against the Jets, offensive line played so much better. And then that created a false confidence into that group saying, you know, maybe there's development there and they don't have to invest that much. Maybe they can continue to grow when it was literally just fool's gold. And we're kind of seeing the same thing again this season. So I think it's important to learn that this is not the first time that we've seen these things. And there's definitely still improvements that need to be made. Progress, is progress, wins or wins. And that can definitely buy you confidence and faith and trust in the whole message and the culture and everything like that. But you, you can't ignore what you already know. And I think that's the important message. And I guess we, if we want to talk about resolutions early, it's a, re, it's a resolution that they, they need to actually learn and apply to.
0: So you see the comment here from Andrew Costigan on Facebook. If you watch 90s Bengals, you know that's what we're seeing right now. Lose all year, kick ass the last three to four games to get hopes up for next season. I mean, it is very it is very similar. We've got a stat of the week to share, and we've got some uh, another uh, – stat that we will uh, reference as we preview the Ravens game later on that kind of points to this. But here's my worry, John, as much as I like to see the progress. And when you beat the Steelers on Monday night football, you beat Deshaun Watson on his home field, potentially beat a supposedly playoff bound Ravens team. If you do that this week, as, as good as that would feel to end the season this way, I get afraid of the old Bengals mindset of believing in what they currently have because of this late season progress and hanging their you know hanging their laurels on you know hey we're good we're getting better on the offensive line we don't need to make the big improvements in free agency hey we're we're getting better at wide receiver we don't need to make the big improvement you know you know i'm saying i i really just want the Bengals to still say i like the progress but it's still not good enough we need to be better i think you're muted buddy
1: and I don't think that we can ignore that when we see video of, of Joe Burrow taking his first steps in a month, like that's still a hundred percent in their minds. Like this, this all happened because we were negligent at one of the most important position groups. And if Sam Hubbard doesn't make that strip sack against Deshaun Sean Watson, it could have easily been another blown lead in the final two minutes. And then who knows if Lou and Arumos is, is still around this, this time next week, Sam Hubbard might've just saved his job. Like it was not the first time that the defense almost blew an opportunity for the offense but at the same time, I, I think, turning back to the positive side of things, this was the first time that we saw, I think, a performance on offense that was that, that can be benefited a lot towards Zach Taylor in, in the play calling and, and the scheme and stuff like that. Because you know, the whole thing was talking about was Joe Burrow the, the sole reason why there were these improvements on offense. And if, if it wasn't Zach Taylor, then what value does he have? This is like the fifth or sixth game or whatever when he's had a backup quarterback in there. And not only was it a quality game from the quarterback, he 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 blacked out. You know, he made so many big time throws and no negative throws. Brandon Allen, he won the FedEx uh, Player yeah. Air Player of the Week, beating Tom Brady and Andy Dalton for that for that honor. Like it was a fantastic passing display after what we thought was just a scripted offense that was going to be figured out by the Texans. You know, the second quarter on, he just made big time throw after big time throw and avoided mistakes. And I think you have to credit a lot of that to Taylor. For the first time, it looked like his play calling and his offensive philosophy was actually elevating the talent around him. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that.
0: Brandon Allen played superb and you know, there was, it was kind of pedestrian backup style play against the giants in his first start. Right. Uh, Second start, there was improvements Uh, still not stellar gets hurt. Finley comes in, Now this third start, he comes in and it's just, it was, I I think he had a higher quarterback rating than Burrow had for for the entire year, which is like, what? Uh, You mentioned he won the FedEx player of the year. I mean, are you, are you pretty set before we move on to some of the other performances that in this game, are are you pretty, are you pretty sold on Brandon Allen being a a, a solid backup option for the team in 21 based on what you've seen, not only this week, but in prior weeks.
1: It's going to be interesting to hear our responses to this right now. And what we can say after this week when they face a much tougher defense than the Ravens. Like the Texans had JJ Watt and Zach Cunningham, and that was it. It was backups and guys who were and guys who had to be playing for, for suspended players. It was yeah. a it was a skeleton crew for that Texas defense. So but that's what you that's what you should expect. You you should expect your backups to do well or at least play decently against other backups. So I think baseline Allen is a guy that you would like to have around to see what he can do in 2021, but there's also tape of him just underperforming against other defenses leading up to this game. Maybe it was just the fact that he's had his feet wet in the offense. He's had a lot of reps as the starter. And, and I mean, this, this is him coming back from injury, too. So there's that factor in it as well. So the, the perception might change after this game against the Ravens, who are going to be much tougher and get into, get into his space more often. But right now, I think you can be confident that he's at least a solid backup.
0: I, I think, yeah, I think uh, depending on what happens this next week. But, I mean, I think – right now as we sit here we can say you know maybe he has the inside track on the backup quarterback position and you bring in someone that that can really kind of compete with him for that next year i don't think finley is competition for him based on what we've seen so far from ryan finley i think you kind of maybe move on from there maybe if he is practice squad eligible um you can you can stash him there but i think you know at at this point brandon allen should have maybe the inside track if zach taylor stays because obviously it's kind of a system guy right If Zach Taylor indeed stays, which I think we all believe he will now based on these last two weeks, Brandon Allen stays, has the inside track on the backup quarterback position. Maybe you bring in another guy to compete with him. I know this is going to be right up your wheelhouse, John talking about running backs. Um, I know there was uh, kind of some mixed opinions on extending Mixon this, this year and uh, the Bengals paid some money to him. And as in, True Bengal fashion, a big contract gets doled out and the player is injured throughout most of the season. And really the only game that Joe Mixon shined, and I'm a big Joe Mixon guy, the only game he shined was against the Jacksonville Jaguars where he had a big game and then hasn't really played much since. We saw basically Samaje Pirine and Gio Bernard, I think they combined for, what, 160 rushing yards and then they combined for uh, close to 110 receiving yards. Um what what do you make of all this john and and uh offensive line play etc cuz obviously those two guys have been key the balance on offense it, it's been key as to why the Bengals have beat the steelers and texans in back to back weeks
1: yeah you mentioned that jaguars game for mixon without that game he's averaging 2.9 yards per carry this season whoa and and, and the the first response to that and rightfully so is well the offensive line's been bad the offensive line's been bad for 3 years like at this it, it comes back to the same argument if the offense line is bad, and that's the reason why your running back isn't producing well, why are you paying the running back? That was the whole argument. then it was, oh, well, Mixon needs to get involved more in the passing game. It's an inefficient way to run an offense that way if you're, if you're targeting running backs more than your wide receivers and tight ends. With Pierre and, and Bernard, they're still playing against behind a bad offense line. But I, I don't know, man. You just watch Pierre and he just makes – more efficient cuts and and more efficient reads than Mixon ever does. And I say that knowing that Mixon is the better athlete and he's younger and he's got more juice. And I I think anybody would prefer him as the athlete over Pirine, but Pirine just seems like he knows what he's doing more than Mixon Mixon and there's a lot less hesitation and the offense is just really efficient when he's running the ball, all he needs is just decent blocking. Like he, that forty-six yard run against against the Texans that touchdown—it's pretty, it's pretty. Yeah, it's better. It's better than anything I've ever seen from Mixon in terms of what ended up being a touchdown. Like it—it's it, impressive. And I mean, there's a reason why you're four for four hundred yards in the game for Oklahoma. I remember when both of them came out in that draft. I'm like, Pierre kind of seems more impressive to me than Mixon, and that's ignoring all the off-field stuff with Mixon and what made him. And an overall draft prospect so you know as a as someone who I mean this year I didn't think Pierre was going to make the roster but he's obviously has a lot of value with this coaching staff and in that position group and I think he's earned a chance to stick around because he's just a solid player and he just gets the job done regardless of who's in front
0: of him there's a lot of comments I put up a few about Mixon and you know look Mixon if you if you think back to Le'Veon Bell when he was with the Steelers and at his prime there's a lot of similarities in terms of the patience that Mixon tries to exude to find a hole The difference is, and I think you're kind of alluding to it, John, and some of our commenters are as well. The difference is the Bengals haven't had the offensive line talent up front for him to be able to pick and choose his holes and be as patient as he wants to be to bust the big play. Whereas I think with Gio Bernard and Samajé Pirine, you're finding a better fit with the deficiencies on the offensive line because there's not a lot of time to sit there and pick and choose your hole. It's decide and go. And I think, I, I think there's that's kind of something, a realization I've kind of come to a little bit over these past couple of weeks is, and I like Mixon. It's not to say that Mixon doesn't have a future for, with the Bengals and it won't be a productive guy or anything like that. I, I just think that there's a mismatch between Mixon's skill set and the skill set of the offensive line in front of him and, and the, the footwork and patience that Mixon tries to exude in the backfield as compared to these other two guys.
1: And maybe with a better offensive line, a more effective offensive line, you, you will see a more consistent and better mix overall. But again, it's the it's the chicken over the egg. If you have to you know, revolve the whole offense around your running back in order to make the running back more effective, like it's it, it, it all goes back to the same argument. It's an argument that we've spouted for, for months and months on the show. And at the end of the day, Bengals have a lot of good running backs. It's not an yeah. issue that they really have to worry about. It's just about finding an offensive line that, that helps these guys out more.
0: Yeah, and and look, the the other thing to kind of go against what I just said is if you look back the past two seasons with Mixon in twenty eighteen, the last year of Marvin, and in, in twenty nineteen, he was w- one of if not the best back in football over the like last half of each of those seasons. He was he was incredible. Um, the first half of the season was a lot of just negative runs and like like you said, that two point nine yards per carry. You, you had a lot of that at the beginning of the season. It was kind of a reversal towards the end of the last two seasons. Unfortunately, he didn't get the chance to prove uh, or or turn things around this year. But like you said, there is a good problem in terms of the talent at running back there. Uh, Quickly, before we move on to stat of the week and uh, all of that, just overall impressions from you by, by the wide receiver group. No Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green kind of up and down this week. T. Higgins just continues to be to prove that he is, he is a stud.
1: Uh, there was one drive. um, I think in the third quarter, it was first, it was a third and long Allen just trusted AJ green on like a hit try and He was completely smothered green somehow came down with the, with the cornerback all draped up all, all around him. Very next play. They ran like four verts, Alex Erickson of all guys just re- running wide open up the seam, getting some yards up to catch the very next play. T Higgins his best catch of the year. That, that touchdown, that toe, that oh. toe tap. Like it was, it was insane. Like <laughs> I, I, it was Alex Erickson's best game in a long time. And it took a little bit for agent green to kind of um, get going. I know there, it's kind of seemed like they were forcing him, force feeding him early in the game. That's what led to, I think that first third down uh, failure on like third and short. And I think Higgins had a drop or two to start, but they all kind of caught alive. And it was nice to see the, you know, their quarterback actually making some great tight window throws and, and just trusting them in those situations against cornerbacks that they should have beaten and they should have been able to moss over him. And it was it was great to see them do that without Boyd out there. And now we have two receivers on the brink of history.
0: Yep. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But, uh, yeah, Higgins is, is going to potentially set some nice rookie records with the Cincinnati Bengals coming up in this last game of the season. And, I mean, was he 21, 22? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's still very, very young. And the only thing I can say at this point, I mean, we know he doesn't have the burning long speed, but it's it's okay. It's good enough, and he can high point the ball. The only other thing I can say that he needs to clean up in his game is maybe clean up a few of the concentration drops. But uh, I mean, other than that, I I think the Bengals have a very good wide receiver in the making in in this kid. So, uh, you know, I think that's a good takeaway from this game. A couple of great, great catches by him going forward. Uh, One more thing, John, before we transition, some talk in the in the chat, and I guess. Your quick thoughts on the Bengals winning and, sa- and sacrificing draft draft position their sa- their sacred draft position and maybe losing out on Panay Sewell how do you how do you feel about that I you know I want Sewell but at the same time it's kind of like you got to start winning games is is kind of my opinion
1: Teams don't tank um but I know like fans and front offices I guess they they want to tank for quarterbacks as long as the Bengals have a quarterback there's no need to purposely lose games for the sake of draft positioning it's 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 nice and sexy to have like a a top three pick locked in you can get whatever player that you want assuming that the first two picks are quarterbacks but they're going to get a good player regardless and they can revolve their entire offseason plans around guaranteeing themselves the best offensive tackle in the draft or the best wide receiver in the draft they need To handle their business in free agency and see what happens in the draft. If they happen to fall like the six, seven, eight range, they're still going to get a a very talented player. They can get one of the great receivers. They can get a Kyle Pitts. They can still get an offensive tackle because I I think it's very up in the air. Like how you know how the rest of that board and that position falls after Sewell. So they're going to be in a good spot regardless. It's not worth purposely losing. I guess it's still meaningless games at the end of the day because they're not going to the playoffs. But there there is a sense of building up some some form of confidence and. This coaching staff has to sell this message we talked about it with Matt all throughout the last month. Like when they when they still had Burrow, they need to build wins, and it, it's not it's and to, if they produce results in the next year, it's not meaningless. And we don't know if that's going to happen yet or not. But at, at this point, like th- th- they need to they need to build some confidence with that. So as long as you have a quarterback, you don't really need to tank anyways.
0: yeah and they they I guess supposedly tanked last year you got your quarterback I think all of us believe in in Joe Burrow even though he got hurt this year. what you're wanting hopefully is a little more belief in your coach and if you're able to string together these wins at the end of the season, you got to feel pretty good about that and look every year John we know this in the draft everybody sitting on their couch and oh that guy's not going to be there. he'll never be there he's going to be long gone by then he'll never be there and lo and behold guys fall. Guys end up in certain spots, and all of a sudden, you know, your team's like, oh, wow, this guy's still here. We'll take him. Uh, so, I mean, the fact if the Bengals sit at five, six, something like that, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that Sewell will be there if that's the guy. But like you said, there are some nice options as well. Um, Pitts seems like an absolute freak if they're able to use that kind of position correctly. They've got some good wide receivers on the board if they want to go that route, and this seems to be a pretty good offensive line class coming into this draft too. So,
1: also trade down, still a thing.
0: Yep, yep, for sure, absolutely. Especially with a, a handful of quarterbacks uh, in this draft, that seem to be highly coveted that are coming out. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. We're going to get to a stat of the week. We're going to talk about the Ravens game, and we're going to give you some Bengals New Year's resolutions to close out this show. You can get it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, wherever you like to stream your podcast, leave us a, re- a review if you can, whether it's our show or orange is the new black chalk talk, any of that, any of the shows on the Cincy jungle podcast channel, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel right under that little Nike logo on, uh, John is—is is Nike sponsoring the show? I don't—I don't know if Nike sponsors. I have
1: not yet. heard back from them. I've written.
0: Them <laughs> uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel uh, so you can get all of our content and get notified when we go live. And uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Bengalsobi.
1: There were a lot of options for this week's stat of the week. I know. Uh, I think it was either Ben Baby or Jay Morrison who tweeted out like the Texans had the biggest yards per play for a team that lost like nine point five or something. It was something ridiculous. Um, but this one, I'm going to go uh, a little bit, a little bit different, involving both quarterbacks in this game. I was so excited to watch this game because of Deshaun Watson. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks and just players in the NFL to watch in general. Regardless of what his team does, he's always exciting and he always produces and he's always the reason why they end up being games or just win. And I was just not, and it was even more entertaining because I wasn't expecting Brandon Allen to match and really outplay him. And this is how insane that, that this game was. Um, a couple stats here. Completion percentage over expectation and aggressiveness percentage. Uh, both are coined by next-gen stats. I think we've talked about completion percentage over expectation. It's just uh, your completion percentage um, differential between what your expected completion percentage is and what your actual completion percentage is. And aggressiveness is essentially the percentage of passes that enter tight windows where a the closest defenders within like one yard of the receiver. So this game, it featured two quarterbacks that combined for an aggressiveness percentage Aggressiveness percentage of 42.8%. It was by far the biggest uh, combined percentage out of any game this week, topping like I think the the Packers and Titans game with Ryan Tannehill and Aaron Rodgers. That game was like in the 30s or something like that, mainly because Ryan T- uh, yeah, Ryan Tannehill played really well in, in that game. And um it was the second highest combined completion percentage over expectation with like 17%. I think um, Deshaun Watson had a completion percentage over expectation of like six percent. And Brandon Allen had a uh, completion percentage over expectation of 11%. So both quarterback is dealing, making these high-quality throws, making these throws in tight windows and completing them and creating big gains. It was it's, it's what do you expect out of a game that ends like 37-31. And it was a performance that I think a lot of us expected Deshaun Watson to have, but it just really signifies how impressive Brandon Allen was out there matching him every single drive and targeting these these big body receivers and just making throws that we've just never really seen from this guy before and you know it's it's throws that you know they were just moon balls they weren't like high velocity so you'd figure a guy with Allen's arm to be able to make but for him to just consistently be making them time and time again after it it seemed like that offense was kind of figured out after after they're just throwing screens and screens it was impressive and it you know, he deserves all the credit in the world and Zach deserves the credit for kind of scheming those plays up against that defense.
0: Yeah. Credit both Zach Taylor and Brandon Allen, because they just had the confidence, you know, they were like, well, you know, they're kind of catching on and then they, they would catch on to the screen game a little bit, right. in the short passing game. And then all of a sudden it's like, we're going deep, we're going deep. And, and Brandon Allen on these deep passes while, you know, he doesn't have a rocket arm or anything. I think you would agree, John, that they were the, the ball placement on them were kind of like, well, the receivers got the best shot at making this grab, even though it may be a contested catch. It wasn't like an absolute freak. I mean, the T Higgins touchdown catch was, but it was placed well, right? I mean, it, the ball placement on these deep balls were were placed very well. And then lo and behold, what happened later in the game, they were able to get some more yardage out of the screen game because they've stretched the field a bit. So uh, I, I thought that was, that was pretty clever by Zach Taylor and Brandon Allen and, and showed a lot of confidence by both guys. You're muted again. <laughs>
1: Every every time, <laughs> yeah. If, as a quarterback, if you can't win with you know velocity like like a Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, you you have to win with anticipation and to touch, and that's exactly what he showed. Like there were just some plays, some out routes with T Higgins where he would just time it right out of his break and could go throw it right where only Higgins can get it. And I think that touchdown was the perfect example of that, where he just just threw right over his shoulder. Cornerback made as good of a play as you could expect, but that's Higgins' bread and butter, and you know I think it speaks to the amount of reps that. Allen was starting to get with those guys and it just kind of all came together at the right time.
0: Yep. So that is the stat of the week courtesy of John Sheeran. He does some great research and brings us all of that, all of the numbers specific to either that week or the Cincinnati Bengals in general. So good stuff, John. Uh, what do you think? Do we need to transition to the game this week? Yeah, let's do that. So, <sighs>
1: You know, this is not the first time that the Ravens are coming to Paul Brown Stadium for week 17. It's happened a handful of times in the late Marvin Lewis era, and most of the time it's ended up pretty successful. Uh, going back to Jay Morrison, uh, he's pretty much on top of this stuff. He found out that like the last like 12 or 11 times the Bengals have been underdogs with the, with a losing record at home and week 17. They've ended up winning or like covering the spread. A couple of those times happened against the Ravens. But there's a lot more than just knocking the Ravens out of the playoffs and getting a third win in a row. There there's it's gonna be a bittersweet game, I think, for a lot of people. You know, Geno Atkins is not gonna be able to play in this game, but people are pretty much assuming that he's gonna be a a cap casualty for this game. But I I think the, the main story's gotta be AJ Green Anthony. You know, this this is against the team that he's been so dominant against, and for him to all but likely end and finish out his career. Against this team at home, and and a chance to ruin their season, just like they did in 2017, when when that time it was Tyler Boyd with Andy Dalton kind of knocking the Ravens out of the playoffs. Is that is that the biggest storyline here? Is it also along with the fact that T Higgins can also make history?
0: I think those kind of go hand in hand a little bit. Uh, You know, I, I think there's maybe a little bit of a passing of a baton type of thing, and I don't. I think as we sit here today. I don't think there's much of a chance that AJ Green and Geno Atkins are back with the Cincinnati Bengals next year. I think, unfortunately, that's just kind of um, it's just kind of the reality of it. And it would be nice to have a good send off for AJ Green, whatever that may look like. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that has to be one of the top storylines, and especially since AJ Green has had so much success against the Baltimore Ravens in his career, um, and really kind of almost single handedly won a lot of those games with his individual performances. He and Dalton together. And, you know, I remember back in, God, what was it, 16 or 17, when he came down with a Hail Mary, maybe it was 14, came down with a Hail Mary just to even tie the game. The Bengals ended up losing that one in overtime, but just to send it to overtime, it was just a miraculous play. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I I would think that A.J. Green has to be one of the top storylines this week as he may be putting on a Bengals uniform, especially playing in Paul Brown Stadium for probably the last time.
1: Yeah, so, and just kind of quantifying what this game kind of means, I think A.J. is, I believe, two touchdowns away from breaking the franchise record for receiving touchdowns. T. Higgins is one catch away from passing Chris Collinsworth's rookie reception record, and he's about, I think, 92 yards away from crossing the 1,000-yard threshold. He's only about 40 yards away from passing Eddie Brown on the rookie receiving yardage record. He has a long way to go to get to um, A.J. Green uh for, for for that honor i think he's at like a little bit under 1100 yards but it, it's interesting because you know this ravens team they're they're kind of peaking at the right time they've won um a handful of games in the row now and that's why they're back into the playoff race after they were like six and five and looking like they were kind of found out but uh, um if, if there's one part of that team that's struggling right now right now it's the secondary and it, it, we're recording this on Wednesday. And both cornerbacks, Marcus Peters was limited with a calf injury. I think Marlon Humphrey did not practice with, with an injury. So even if those two guys play, they're kind of banged up. And that secondary is kind of struggling right now. I think they're like 27th in DVOA in, over the past month or so. So it's an opportunity for both those guys to take advantage of, of potential mismatches. And you have Tyler Boyd, I think, coming back. At least he was limited today. And he's still kind of in the concussion protocol. But having him back on the field would definitely help as well. But also, you know with the Ravens kind of peaking at the right time and and looking like the Ravens of um, earlier in the season, there's a factor with that with how the Bengals have also been kind of improving. Like I don't think the Bengals are necessarily like it's different than what it was against the Steelers where the Steelers didn't take them seriously. They were looking like they weren't going to win another game. Bengals shocked the world. Then the Bengals go out and beat a mostly bad and backup team with the Texans. Ravens, if they lose this game, they, they're out of the playoffs, and they they've seen the Bengals improve in the past two weeks. So it, it's it like we've seen two wins in a row. So we're thinking a third one's not out of out of the equation here with how well they've played. But it, it's got to be a different mentality with that with that with their opponent being as good as they are, but also knowing what they've done in the past couple weeks. It, it doesn't seem like the Bengals are going to be taking anybody by surprise here.
0: No. And just quick quick segue, uh, Robert Obrecht says Gino still has a few years on his deal. I mentioned Geno Atkins maybe not coming back with the Cincinnati Bengals. He does have a few years on his deal left, but there was a report just a couple of weeks ago when he was put on IR that the two sides are going to meet this offseason, talk about things, and it seems unlikely that Geno Atkins is going to be back. So that's why I mentioned his name also as a guy who may not be back next year. But, yeah, I mean, you look at – the injury report for the Cincinnati Bengals, you got Mike Daniels, who, by the way, has really quietly been playing very well the past couple of weeks. He had the veteran rest. Um, B.J. Finney, you've got the same thing with A.J. Green, the the veteran rest. William Jackson, that concussion. So, um, uh, you know, I don't – to your point about these injuries, et cetera, I mean, do you – are you expecting a high-scoring game, especially what we saw with Brandon Allen last week and Possible return of Tyler Boyd. I would assume Boyd's back, personally, but we know concussions can be tricky. But, I mean, should we expect that the Bengals are actually going to put up some points this week Um, based on the cornerback injuries that you you mentioned uh, by the Ravens? And I'll bring some of their their injury report up there, Marcus Peters, et cetera. I don't know. What do you think?
1: I think we can assume that the Ravens are going to be able to score points. Um, I think this past week showed us that while there have been some progress made on defense with Lou and Arumo, it's mainly been about the fact that they've been playing r- really bad offenses and Ravens with Lamar Jackson and that running game and the offense line kind of finally coming together. I think they're going to have no trouble scoring 20, 30 points in this game. And it is going to be about if Brandon Allen can match that for a second week in a row, because while the secondary is struggling for Baltimore, that pass rush is going to be better than what Houston had on the field. Texans only pressured Allen, I think, four times in that game. And no one around the offensive line for the Bengals really played that well. It was just the fact that it was J.J. Watt and nobody else out there that was creating any disruption. And J.J. Watt, unfortunately, isn't isn't the talent that used to be for that team. So it's definitely going to be a wake up call to see if that defense can try to try to hold them under thirty points because that that's what it might take for this offense to kind of match it and. It's going to be a tougher. It's going to be a tougher task, even if it's at home. Even if you have maybe Tyler Boyd coming back and you have continuity on that offensive line, it's a defense that has already dominated this offense with Joe Burrow at the helm. So, I mean, who knows what what they have in store for a backup quarterback that has yet to really still prove himself against a competent defense.
0: Last time these two teams faced, and granted, I, I think I would like to. Oh, well, I, I think Joe Burrow kind of tried to make things happen a little bit more backyard football style. He, you know, he scrambles around maneuvers the pocket a little more than Brandon Allen. Um, Brandon Allen does a little bit more of play play to live another down type of thing. But regardless, the Baltimore Ravens who had struggled to rush the quarterback, they got seven sacks on this team to your point, John, Um, you know, and I think they, they did a lot of it using blitzers, which um, we knew they kind of needed, needed to do that in order to get the pressure that they ended up getting. But, that's that's a, that's a different animal than what kind of we saw last week. Maybe maybe akin a bit to to what Pittsburgh is doing. So I don't know if you alter your game plan, maybe to do some of those quarterback draws, do some of those things that Ryan Finley did to Pittsburgh to negate some of those that that quarterback uh, the quarterback pressures, the the pass rush, etc. But um, to your point, I think I think this is going to be a little bit different animal than what we saw last week in Houston.
1: Right, and against Houston even with that weak week pass rush, they kind of hit the offensive line a lot with what they did early on with the screens and stuff. But Allen didn't really hold the ball long that much in that game. He had like 30 something attempts and only like 10 of them. He held the ball for like more than two and a half seconds. So it can, can they do that against the Ravens or are, are they able to get those quick uh, short passes and manufacture some yardage like that against the defense? It's just, it's just more talented or, or are they going to be forced to play a more traditional game and having to drop back in these five-step drops and, Having to have guys get open down the field, it, it you know they can do that against the secondary, but can the offense line hold up against a much better defensive line? I don't know. You know, it's going to be how well does the scripted offense work early in the game? I know someone said like they should just run the same offense that they, that they did against the Steelers. It's probably not going to work again. It's probably not going to work for Brandon Allen this time. I who knows? Who knows if Allen is a better athlete than Finley? I didn't think I, I didn't think Finley was good, was a good athlete, but apparently he <laughs> surprised us. He surprised us all. So who knows? You know, I, I think it's it's definitely going to be tougher even though they they have some matchups in store against that secondary but um yeah it, it's the offense is going to have to score a lot because I don't I don't see the Bengals defense kind of stopping what this Ravens offense is doing right now.
0: yeah, kind of a tail I uh, flip into the other side of the ball kind of a tale of two different games for the Bengals defense against the Steelers they kind of had their way right they they rushed the quarterback they forced three turnovers um allowed what just 17 points in that one um and then this week they allow 31 and david johnson had like 10 yards per carry 11 yards per carry and they just they were not the same defense that we saw the week prior so if you're if you're luana Arumo, do you focus just strictly on this ravens rushing attack the the option game the you know the multiple running backs that they have that are very talented or do you try and maybe if you have to pick your poison between the 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 different choices here, do you maybe try and say, you know what, we're going to take away your tight ends because we know Lamar likes to use those tight ends, particularly in the red zone in the middle of the field to extend drives. What do you think is a better strategy as you sit here today?
1: I think that's more or less what they tried to do in the first game. And we have, we have to credit in a for that first performance. I mean, Lamar Jackson did not have a good game back in October when they played him and they played a lot of three linebacker sets with Akeem Davis-Gather out there with J- Jermaine Pratt and Josh Bynes, and they handled that read option stuff and that, that you know general option stuff re- really well. I think Lamar only had like two or three yards rushing for that game. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're clicking on more cylinders now, so it's going to be tougher because they have some momentum going into this game, and you know the, ba- the Bengals' defense personnel-wise still isn't that impressive, and they're easily exploitable. But I think they had a formula that worked back in October, and they're going to be trying to – to do the same things, but the Ravens can easily adjust and it'll be about how the Bengals adjust back because at the end of the day, it's Carl Lawson and nobody else rushing the passer out there. Same how Mike at home a couple times a game, but um, I think the Ravens offense line is, is going to be capable enough to at least limit him for most of the game. So Carl Lawson needs another great game. The linebackers need to continue playing fast. They're not going to, they're probably not going to have Logan Wilson out there. He's still not practicing with that ankle injury. So yeah. you, need, you need a great revenge game from, from Josh Bynes. Jermaine Pratt has, To his credit, taking a leap forward in the second half of the season. So you you need him to play well again. And Von Bell, Jesse Bates, you know, locking down on Mark Andrews and those tight ends and those over-the-middle seam routes. So it's going to take a complete effort to kind of re-emulate what they did back in October because the offense is still capable of just breaking a whole defense down.
0: Yeah, and Jesse Bates, after that loss earlier this year, said basically we knew what they were going to do. And, uh, I I think there was kind of a double-edged sword both in saying, we knew what they were going to do. We were able to stop Lamar with Lamar's legs, essentially, but Lamar still had his way utilizing the tight ends and getting points scored on us. So, uh, you know, I I would assume there's going to be some similarities in the defensive game plan going forward. And, um, you know hopefully a better result instead of that 27 to 3 debacle when the Bengals kicked a field goal with what I don't know a minute left uh, and that to the chagrin of the Ravens defensive coordinator there to avoid the shutout um, we're going to we're going to transition to call you know kind of call your shot here what do you what are some keys for you and how do you see this one playing out do you think the Bengals can pull out a third straight win at home, and end the season on a high note like they did last year against the Cleveland Browns?
1: Well, um, they do pretty well when I say they're going to lose of late, so (laughs) I might as well say they're going to lose. But it it would mean, to to answer the original point of of this whole preview, it would mean a lot for them to win this game and actually compete. It's – Every game had a different factor to it. The Steelers, they caught everybody by surprise. They embodied the underdog mentality. Texans, at the end of the day, just not a very impressive team, and they were able to take advantage of a, of a backup. Um, of, a, of a defense that was comp- comprised of backups. Ravens, they're going to be fighting for their damn lives, and they're peaking at the right time. If they are able to beat this team, it would mean... So much it would probably mean the most out of any of these three wins. Even though Pittsburgh yeah. was in prime time and it was against the Steelers of all, of all teams, it would it would be the most impressive considering who they're going up against. Because at, you know the Steelers just aren't impressive right now; and they're not playing very good football, even though they just beat the Colts. So if they're able to win, it would mean a, a ton. It would be the, it would be one of the greatest meaningless wins of, of recent history. But I just I just don't I don't see them doing enough. You know, I think I think Allen and the receivers are going to have some production there, but I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball as well against them as they did against the Texans. Texans, by the way, had like the second worst rush defense entering that game. And I, I think the Ravens offense is is just going to do, well, is going to be able to do a little bit more.
0: I, so can the Bengals win this game? Yeah. Based on what we've seen the last two weeks. Yeah. Uh, will they? It's unlikely. I mean, they're 11 and a half, 12 point underdogs for a reason at home. Um, essentially, I think they will need to have played a game that combines the defensive performance of Pittsburgh and the offensive performance of Houston to be able to pull this one out. Um, I I just, I think, you know, you could say they played a somewhat complete game against Pittsburgh, but I mean, look at the passing stats of Ryan Finley. They weren't able to pass the football. You're, You're going to need to be able to run the football. You're going to need to be able to do enough in the passing game, and you're going to need to limit the damage Uh, From Baltimore to be able to get this one, and really the Bengals and largely under Zach Taylor have not really put together many complete games, three phase games, and even even when you've got you know the defense doing doing some things, the offense doing some things, the kicker hasn't always been reliable uh, (laughs) when when they need him to be. So you know it's just it's a cliche, and I hate to use it, but it's a three phase game if the Bengals want to do something this week. I. I think that the Baltimore Ravens will win this game. I think it'll be a nice, a fun one to watch, but there is something that's just telling me, you know, is that, is that 2017 magic going to, going to come back? Are the Bengals going to have this comeback just kind of storybook win to end a really terrible campaign, but really just kind of put a nice ribbon on it. I think it's possible, but I'm not hanging my, my hat on that uh, this week. I, I just, I don't know. I, I, there's a lot to overcome this week. It, they're going to need to play very, very well in order for that to happen.
1: They are going to need to play very, very well. And like you said, like no one can really have a have a down game in this. It, it's going. It's going to be a playoff like uh, just feel to it. You know, with however many fans are on the crowd. But every, both sides are going to want to win this game really badly. And as much as the Bengals, whoever whoever is still was still on that 2017 2017 team. Whoever is still on that team will still remember that game, and they can have confidence that they can feel like they can replicate it. I'm sure the Ravens remember that just as well, and they're not going to yeah. want to repeat. They're not going to want to repeat history, so it's it's going to be tough. Um, I don't think the Ravens are going to blow them out necessarily, but I, I can see them winning like something in like the twenty eight to twenty four range.
0: Yeah, uh, this is an interesting question, kind of maybe not totally, uh, it's kind of a non sequitur to this, but kind of going on this social, social weed tard. That's an <laughs> interesting name. Um, what do you think, uh, which team will go further in the playoffs, Browns or squealers? Um, you could even throw the Ravens in there. What if all three make it? Um, just out of curiosity, who do you think is, uh, who do you think's got the most playoff viability between those three teams?
1: You know it's funny because I've I have no data to back this up, but it just seems like like um, wh- whether it's college football bowl season or the NFL playoffs, if like a lot of if a lot of teams from a certain conference or division are playing in the playoffs, it 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 always seems like that division is the one that does the worst, or like no no team wins or something like that. Like I, I remember just in recent years, like. Power five conferences end up going like oh, oh for whatever in bowl games, like in the NCAA tournament. Like certain conferences don't get out of the first or second round, and it feels like whenever there's like two or three teams from a certain division that they, they end up like all failing at it or just not winning a single game. I can totally see that with the AFC North because each team kind of just has certain warts to it. I don't expect the Steelers to. Win a single playoff game, I, not with what's going on at quarterback. I don't think anything that they do is sustainable right now, unless they just have TJ Watt and the rest of that defense play out of their minds. And it's entirely possible that they play the Browns in the playoffs, and maybe the Browns get their first playoff win in three decades or however long it's been. um If I had to pick one team, though, it's it's probably the Browns because we just yet to see Lamar Jackson and that offense play well in, in a playoff like atmosphere or in a playoff game. I think in the two games that he's played, he's just not been impressive. Like we just said, the Steelers are, are impressive right now. The Browns might have the capability to be one or two teams, but I don't see them going necessarily very far unless Baker Mayfield plays really well and outplays another playoff quarterback. So if I if I had to guess, I would guess it's the Browns. But they're also the Browns. We have never seen them do yeah. anything like this in a while.
0: Yeah, I mean the Browns' running game maybe tells you that they can they could do some things. The Steelers, it's hard to believe in them, but they still are the Steelers. I mean, this is their time of year that they start to play well. They get they they get things right. They just tend to do that. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people were thinking for an eleven win team, they were on the mat last week, and uh, especially on that losing streak, and then they just kind of cue the Undertaker uh, <laughs> the video clip there and just came back and beat the Colts. And uh, you know, now it's a kind of a different theme. I, I don't know. I still think Baltimore's got got something there if they can get in, you know, they've got maybe enough to, to go through, but I still think you know when it's all said and done, this what Kansas City's doing and and you know, I mean, it's just it's hard to hard to get through that buzzsaw. so um, but interesting question. I just thought that was kind of kind of an interesting one. Uh, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, we're heading into 20, 2021. Thankfully, mercifully after this year, you're now, you've made a commitment to Zach Taylor. It sounds like they're going to keep that commitment or it seems as if they're going to keep that commitment to at least him for next year. What if you're the Bengals and you can give more than one, what are some new year's resolutions? If you are the Cincinnati Bengals as an organization, what are you going to commit to doing? What are you going to commit to, uh, performing or what are you going to, what are you committing to as an organization as we head into the new year? If you're sitting in that front office, uh, John Sharon, what do you, what would, what would you be committing to?
1: Well, as, as the imaginary GM in the scenario, I, I think it's very important to know that this roster for like the third or second year in a row is not entirely fixable in one off season. So there's something that you have to prioritize and you have to make sure that you address to your absolute fullest, it's to make sure that Burrow is, is helped at all costs, whether that be protection, getting a competent AJ Green replacement. If, if you can only do one thing, though, invest in the offensive line, actually invest. I think there's enough smoke right now where that is probably going to be the case where they just look at the past four years and how they've tried to go with these low-cost options to replace Kevin Zeiler, to eventually replace Andrew Whitworth at the tackle spot. It, I, I, it just seems like this is going to be the year where they actually make sizable, meaningful investments into actual NFL players at at least one or two spots along the offensive line. This Ravens game is going to be interesting because, I mean, like we talked about earlier, the offensive line is quote-unquote improving, but how much is that due to the fact that they've not really played that that well or impressive of, import, of opponents? And against the Steelers, they've really hid that offensive line because they only passed the ball like 10 times in that game. So against the Ravens, though, that's That's a much more challenging test. And if they perform actually competently in those situations that matter, then you have an idea about which guys can stick around for 2021 and at least be part of the conversation. But at least two of these starting jobs are 100% open to people that are not in the organization right now. And it has to be the the central focus of this entire offseason of making sure that that position group is solidified, not leading up to the draft. Or, or not, not after the draft. You can't put all, all your eggs in just one pick and fixing it. Making sure that it's fixed before the draft, supplementing what, supplementing those fixes with draft picks. However, you want to address it, like that, it, it has to be done. It, it just has to be.
0: Yeah, not just getting guys, getting the guys right uh, up yes. front. That, that's, that's uh, a very good one. And I think, um while it may be obvious, I, I think it's just, it's of utmost importance. If it's totally of utmost importance. And if you're going to compete in this division, which the Bengals have not in recent years, whether it's under Zach Taylor or the, the tail end of Marvin Lewis's tenure, you, you got to have an offensive line. You got to have an offensive line. You got to have a defensive line. So uh good, good one there. Um, I, I would just, you know, I, I know this team loves its little mantras, whether it was Marvin Lewis or these, you know, seize the day and new day and all that kind of stuff. I don't, you know, I don't want to get too corny or hokey with, with them, but basically I would just live by the mantra of not good enough. It, it, what, what we have seen for the past half decade is simply not good enough. And no r- – r- with the exception of a Joe Burrow and maybe a couple of other guys out there, there should be very few positions and players who should be – who should not be under the microscope and, and areas where, wherein you ask, how can we get better here? What do we need to do to get better here? What can we spend here? It may be a difficult year for the Brown family to spend significant money in free agency because of, you know, ticket sales and all this kind of stuff from this year. And, you know, the, the salary cap uh, potentially going down next year, there may be some tough decisions to make there, but it's, it's just not good enough. And I know that they are loyal to a lot of people. They are loyal to certain players, loyal to coaches, at some point you got to start making tough business decisions and you have to start saying, you know, either you mentioned the offensive line, is it Jim Turner's fault? If so, you got to make a tough business decision, particularly if you're Zach Taylor, because you have a personal relationship, a familial relationship with Jim Turner. You got to make it. You got to make a tough decision there. If it's Lou Anarumo, you maybe have to make a tough decision there. If it's Geno Atkins who still has years remaining on his contract and you feel that that, salary cap savings that you can get from moving on from Geno Atkins, a hall of fame player that has been with you for 11, 10, 11 years. If you feel that you can use that to better capitalize on offensive line players that will help your franchise quarterback, you do it. Um, So my, my thing is don't be inactive in free agency. It's kind of an overarching theme. Don't be inactive in free agency because you were active last year and don't be afraid to reassess certain positions even if they've shown some improvement in this late season winning streak don't don't crawl into a shell and say hey you know what we're set there reassess everything because you know uh what is it six wins potentially seven wins in a tie in two seasons that's not good enough it's just not good enough so that's if I was the Bengals I I would really commit to looking very very hard at a lot of different positions on this roster the
1: the clock is ticking they have three years four years left of joe burrow's rookie contract so that's three or four years left of actual flexibility to build the best roster available and i think there's there's pressure that comes with that and there's also pressure with a guy like burrow leading the franchise he has high expectations and high standards for what he thinks is 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 right for a championship type program and i think there's Certain expectations and pressure that comes with that that we just didn't see in the in the later years of the Andy Dalton era, and they were able to get away with not being active in free agency because they were able to draft so well during Andy Dalton's early years. And if they haven't had the same if they haven't had the same success with that in Burroughs' early years, then that's great. But I think they realize that like they need they need to compete right now because they're it's going to be a lot harder to do so in like three or four years.
0: Yep. So good point on that because you know, this is where, this is where you kind of build through free agency with that manageable quarterback contract. That's a, that's a very good point. And, uh, you, you can't, you simply cannot waste years of Joe Burrow's manageable contract. And, you know, early part of his career, he came in kind of a little bit on the older side anyway, as a prospect. So you, you just simply can't waste years. And, you know, you do that when you don't, allocate proper resources, don't make the tough business decisions, tough but necessary business decisions on your football team. And even tough decisions, John, could include adding staff, adding more staff, adding more internal operations staff. Um, There should be very little off the table for discussion based on what has transpired over this last half decade, especially in comparison to the five years preceding it, right? (laughs) I mean, you had a lot of success in those years, Granted, not postseason success, but a, a lot of good football was played from 2011 through 2015, and the, the five years following it have been pretty dismal.
1: Yeah, let's put putting it, putting it lightly.
0: <laughs> let's get on out of here, John. Uh, what do you have for us to, to drop the mic and get on out of here as we crawl towards 21?
1: Of course, 2020 couldn't end on a more weird note for yours. Truly, I found out today that I was blocked by the Bengals. I saw that. I saw that. (laughs) What was that about? I I don't know. I've only spent money there. I've never taken any, so I don't know what beef they could possibly have with me. I guess I've just been talking too much trash. Um, But yeah, yeah. um, there was that. I also put out an article on Since the Jungle about quitting Spain, it, it, I happen to think it's good and so does Quinn Spain because he apparently read it and DM'd me about it. Uh, nice. not, the most posi- not the most positive article about Quinn Spain so you can kind of imagine what that DM was but if Quinn Spain's checking out then you guys should check it out too and along with everything else that we put out on Com.
0: Did you invite him on the show? Uh,
1: I did not. I don't think he wanted to <laughs> really
0: talk about it. Oh okay alright. Uh, a couple of things. Well that's, that's awesome and by the way for those who uh, tune into I'm our glad- YouTube go ahead
1: I'm glad you think it's awesome because it was kind of awkward for me.
0: <laughs> uh, that's actually really funny. I didn't, I didn't know that took place. Uh, for those who watch our YouTube channel, there is we've we've started. You've obviously seen the great work from Matt Minnick on the chalk talk episodes. You have our podcast episodes, but John's starting to put out some uh, lineman breakdowns, um, uh, video breakdowns that are also on Cincy Jungle. Dot com, but uh, we felt they were great additions. So when he when he gets around to those, we'll be posting those up. They're they're good stuff. We started that last week, and we'll be probably bringing you more of those throughout the offseason as well as draft break, it, profile breakdowns, etc. So keep your eyes open for that. Also, um, we're trying to get some different guests on the show as we go through the offseason. We have uh, we have connected thanks to our buddy Mike Holbrook. We have connected with former Bengals player Keith Rucker. Um, and he's gonna be joining us after the new year on the program talking about his time with the Bengals and uh you know his thoughts on the current team. So that's kind of cool. We like catching up with former players and getting their perspective on things. And then I want to share this, John. I'm sure this is kind of making the rounds here. This is a, a tweet from our good boy, good buddy Zim Houday on uh on Twitter. Kind of doing a little rally cry. Can we get everyone to wear their AJ jerseys and gear this Sunday? I think we should have everyone tag AJ all day. If it's his last game, we gotta know how much he. Uh, we gotta let him know how much joy he gave us. So a little rally cry. If you are watching the Bengals and you got some AJ gear, why not sport it? Um, you know, could could very well be his last game with the Bengals, John. And uh, he's given a lot to this team and. I think there's a Hall of Fame argument to be made there. There's also an argument that he needs to do more to make it, but um, a very, very good player for quite a long time for this team.
1: Putting you on the spot right now is—is it, is it Chad or AJ as the better bang of all time?
0: Oh my gosh, that's always going. I think that's always going to be the discussion. I think. In terms of raw talent and everything, I think you go AJ. And I, the one thing that stuck out to me with AJ, John, and and correct me if I'm wrong, I just, I saw more production against Pittsburgh from AJ than I did from Chad. Um, I just remember Chad getting kind of shut out a, a handful of times from, from Pittsburgh, but I also remember Chad just eating the Browns and the Ravens alive also. Um, and, and I think, you know, Chad just brought more fanfare and attention to him based on how he played the game as opposed to AJ and Chad helped make the Bengals relevant again so I mean there's a good argument for both I guess I would say AJ by a nose but um, you know it's it's hard to really commit to that based on him being injured over these past handful of seasons
1: I mean there's a reason why one was drafted in the top five he was always like the more talented one but I, I think it, it's he's still going to be uh, underappreciated for just Living up to that hype, you know, seven Pro Bowls in seven years, people knock the Pro Bowl they want. That's incredibly rare, and it's something that should be cherished by by this fan base and basically by anybody who who enjoyed watching A.J. Green. So wherever he ends up next, I think, well, I'll be rooting for him and to finish out his career on a high note, and hopefully maybe he can get into the Hall of Fame as a Bengal one day. But, you know, one more opportunity against the team that he has like 10,000 receiving yards against. So hoping, hoping for the best.
0: Yeah well happy new year to all of our listeners safe healthy prosperous new year and of course my same wishes to you john i hope you have a great new year this has been a great great year for this program despite all the craziness in the world we've had a lot of different guests we hope everybody has enjoyed and i know john and i have enjoyed speaking to them Um, we've had an immense amount of views downloads and attention given to our show and the cincy jungle podcast channel And uh, we we can't thank you all enough. And we are expecting to continue to grow and bring you awesome things for 21. But Happy New Year to all of our listeners. And, of course, to you, John. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Have a good New Year's. And...